0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Advice for Life. This is lesson number four. And, you know, I, 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 the rumor is, or my reputation is, that I say this by every class. But this time, for sure, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Who remembers Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yes? Right? Watch me pull a rabbit out, out of my hat. Again, this time, for sure. And it never worked. It never worked with Rocky and Bullwinkle. But I digress. The point is, today's class is... Off the charts, good. We have an incredible class in store for you all today. Uh, The topic is about mental health and emotional wellness, the inner stuff. Last week we spoke about physical health, you know, actual physical, physical health in the traditional sense of that term. Today we speak about mental health and emotional health. I want to begin with a story. The story is that two psychologists meet each other after 20 years. Last time they had seen each other was in school, both practicing psychologists, and they meet up, same age. One looks like he's straight out of school, young, right? Not a gray hair on a set, just young and and looks great. The other one looks old and and weathered and weary. And so the the older looking one says to the younger looking one, there's the same age, says, how do you do it? I mean, after 20 years of listening to people's problems, to their worries, to their anxieties, to their tsaras, how do you possibly stay so You've after listening to so much heartbreak and heartache and, 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 and all that stuff? The other one says to him, You mean you're listening? <laughs> okay, so,
1: all right. I thought it was, could, could, I'm sorry, could you repeat
0: that? <laughs> I know, well, sim- similar. <laughs> you, you, that would have a similar punchline effect. Um, All right, so these three psychiatrists are sitting at a bar telling each other their deepest, darkest secrets. So the one says, all right, I have to confess. I have to confess. This is my secret. This is my dark secret. I have stolen from every single patient I've ever seen in my practice. The second one says, that's nothing. I have this, I mean, this is my deepest secret. I just fantasize about killing, but murdering my patients. Sorry for going so dark. The third one says, my deepest vice is, I can't keep a secret.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a punchline that I knew would come in a wave or two, like a beat and a half. Boom. Um, I, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, I, I just wanna see who's laughing and who's not laughing. I'm just doing my own, my own little analysis and uh, y'all are studies. Um, so there are three prisoners that are... I thought we, once we're on a roll, right? We should just go for it. So three prisoners that are uh, slated for execution. I mean, we're dark already. All right, so like three prisoners slated for execution and they bring out the first one in front of the firing squad and he's petrified, he doesn't know what to do. He's trying to create some sort of diversion. He, just, he gets a plan, hatches a plan. In his mind, the firing squad, they say, ready, aim. And he shouts out really loud, tornado, tornado. We're tornado. They all look and they, drop. they think there's a tornado happening. They drop the guns and they, say, they run and he's able to escape. The next day, they bring out the second guy. And he also hatches a plan. Say, ready, aim. And he says, tsunami, tsunami. They all drop and they run and he escapes. Third day, he's thinking, what can I do? I mean, uh, tornado was taken, tsunami was taken. Hey, ready, aim, and he shouts out, fire.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, say, huh? When they bring out, used to say they bring out, they, bring <laughs> out? they bring out, almost dead. Right, so here we go. Today, we're going to, again, we're going to be addressing psychological health, emotional health, and healing. And as we're doing throughout this course, the key focus of our conversation is Jewish advice, specifically with a focus on the Rebbe's guidance. The Rebbe, for over 40 years, guided, advised, counseled, and mentored thousands and thousands of people. And we know this because there are videos, there are there are letters, there are people sharing their first-hand uh, um, experiences with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it is profoundly powerful. So again, last week we spoke about physical health. We saw the Rebbe's approach, the Rebbe's view about the need for proactive measures, preventative health measures. We also saw the Rebbe's unique perspective on healing, how a lot of that has to do with the with the the kind of convergence and really the um, interconnectedness between mind, body, and spirit. You cannot have a healthy body without a healthy mind and a healthy spirit, and how positivity, trust in Hashem, bitachon all of these factors, positive factors, staying active, finding purpose, no matter where one is, even, God forbid, in the hospital, as we saw in videos last week, finding purpose, staying active, maintaining trust in God, is critical to one's physical health and healing. We also saw last week how the Rebbe was very much uh, uh, aligned with the Torahs. Hey, Mark, with the uh, with the Torahs directive to go to doctors. Verapo yerape. How God has given uh, the ability, the permission, and the calling. Uh, to doctors to heal and how important that is that we follow sound medical advice. Go to an expert, go to a second expert. If you need to, go to a third expert. But don't don't feel the need to become a doctor because again, it's all God's healing coming through the medium of the doctor. So trust in God, follow the plan and God will take care of the rest. That was what we spoke about last week. Today, we focus on the inner stuff, inner well-being. We live at a time when, certainly in our country, and I think across the board, there has never been a time—I don't—it's not a question. There's never been a time in human history where so many people have so much. It's not a question. In our country, this is not to 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 um, dismiss the real issues of poverty and the real issues of uh, you know the real real issues that are that are facing many many people. But again, by and large, there is there are more people that have more. Right today in you know 2024 than ever before certainly in our country. With that said, we don't necessarily see an uptick in happiness, in inner wellness. We don't see an uptick. We don't see a direct correlation between people having more and feeling better. In fact, if we were to take a pulse of the feel good quotient, which I just made up as a phrase right how do you feel how are people feeling i would say that we would conclude that there is a there's a lot of room let's just say this very kindly there's a lot of room for improvement i've seen studies i'm sure you have as well that one in four americans right we're not talking about a third world country or emerging you know countries in the united states of america one in four americans have struggled or currently struggle with mental health challenges all to say all to say that these are not things that can be addressed or solved with just more stuff despite what one of my favorite companies because you know I teach a class over there despite what one of my favorite companies says in their av- or has said in their advertising open happiness that's not how it works you can't open up a bottle of coca-cola and discover happiness. I know it's a tagline. I know they're selling beverages, but I also know that it's not so simple. You can't just open happiness. It's not magical. And we think maybe the next thing that we buy, the next thing that we accrue, the next thing that we collect, the next thing that we achieve, that's gonna be the magic bullet that brings the happiness. But it's way more complicated than that. Happiness, to quote those that have said this, is an inside job. We're talking about internal dynamics. Last Shabbat, I spoke about the psychology of joy This in Davening 101, uh, 10.30 a.m. Saturday morning. That's a plug. Um, this week, we're going to continue the conversation about more ideas on joy. And today's class is not necessarily about joy, but it's really about finding inner strength, inner healing, inner peace. Despite all of the noise around us and inside of us, because there is a lot of noise. And so, to kind of bring everything together in, in my opening remarks, number one, there's a lot of work to be done in this area, right? We, can't speak for anyone here, and I, w- I would never uh, um, be so presumptuous to, 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 you know, to, to address anyone specifically in this room. But I would say that we're well aware of the mental health and the emotional challenges that are very prevalent in our society. So, so that is... Point number one. Point number two, there's a lot of discussion that, needs, that has happened, continues to happen, and still needs to happen. Number three, today's class is about presenting Jewish wisdom on mental health, on emotional well-being, on inner health and well-being and healing, specifically through the lens, the unique, the unique lens of the Lubavitcher Rabbit. As I mentioned last week, one of the biggest categories of questions that the Rebbe received was with regards to health. Well, this is so. This is true also regarding mental health and emotional health. I'm talking about issues such as sadness, depression, um, anger issues, anxiety. These were all very real issues that real people had that that sought the Rebbe's counsel, not because he was a psychologist, but because as someone who is so well versed in Torah. Right? And, and, and Torah's perspective, the Rebbe was able to give powerful advice. So, today we're going to explore this, and I think it's going to be very eye-opening. It's certainly the approach that the Rebbe took in many scenarios is unique, and I would say different, runs contrary to some of the major uh, um, streams of psychology. And, uh, and, and we're going to unpack this today. We're going to watch a few videos. We're going to explore the Rebbe's letters on, on the matter. And I think it's, we're going to come away with some, some powerful guidance. So I want to begin kind of the exploration by discussing for a moment the typical, I would say the classic psychological approach for dealing with issues. So if you can, right, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, what does a classic therapy session look like again classic stereotypical session look like what does the room look like describe the room let's go this is an open form, huh well, what couch. a couch excellent you guys are reading my mind tissues a box of t- couch tissues right the therapist is sitting where right a chair behind the desk or not behind the desk the patient the person seeking help is is what are they doing lying down on the couch Maybe sitting down, maybe lying down, right? And what is the person seeking help doing? Talking, listening. No. No, no. no the, the person seeking help. The, the, the patient is talking. Talking. Unburdening oneself. Speaking, sharing. And what's the role of the therapist? Again, typically, typically, typically. <laughs> You're almost as cynical as I am. No. So, wait, right, look at the clock. No, but what else? Listening. Listening. Very good. Listening, guiding, getting to the core of the problem. So how did that make you feel, yeah. right? So what do you think are the solutions, right? So like, trying and really analyzing the problem, dissecting the problem, getting to the root of the problem, right, which parent is at the source of the problem, like getting to really to the core of the issues, correct? I would call that, I mean, more or less, right? Lead them to get to their own right. Not giving them Very, right, right, well said. And I would say that if I were to kind of analyze this approach, if I were, which I'm about to do, so I would say that this takes a bit of an outside in approach. What I mean by that is that you start off with, let's say, the problems, like why are you here? And then we're going to try to get to the root of the problem, like what is at the core of the problem? And then from the core, now we can address it. And I will tell you, that this aligns very strongly with Jewish guidance as to the process of healing. There's a verse in Proverbs. It's not in your books. You'll have to take my word for it. Chapter and verse, if you're interested, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. It says, "Da'iga belev, yashchena. That's the word. Daigabelev, belev, which means if you have worry or anxiety in your heart, yashchena. Yashchena typically is translated, I don't know what the King James edition says, but typically is translated as, well, the translation that I've seen is um, quash it. Quash. qu sh, Quash. What does quash mean? Squash. Not squash. <laughs> no, that's a game. Kidding. Suppress. Suppress, put it down, quash it, quell it. Oh, another Q word. Quell. Quash, suppress, suppress it, suppress it, right? Maybe squash, squash. squash it, squish it, suppress it. Da'igah belev, If you have worry, anxiety in your heart, <laughs> great. What does that even mean? Oh, if you're worried, just, just, uh, just get rid of the worry. As if, it works. as if that's so easy. So the Talmud discusses this. Classic Talmud, Talmud and Tractate Yoma, the Tractate that talks about Yom Kippur. What a Tractate to talk about anxiety and worry. (laughs) Oh no, I did this, I did that. So the Talmud says, how do you get rid of, how, how do you deal with anxiety? The Talmud quotes two rabbis, Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi. And Rabbi Asi, I'll leave Rabbi Ami's advice for a moment. Rabbi Ami says the following. He says, how do you quash, as it were, the, inner, the the anxiety in your heart? He says, read it not as yashchena, quash, but if you re-vowalize, if you re re-vocalize that word, it only works in Hebrew because you don't have vowels. You have dots. Change the dots, right? Change the dots and you have a new word. Instead of yashchena, You have a word, yesichena. What does yesichena mean? From the word sicha. What does sicha mean in Hebrew? Talk, verbalize, express. So Rabbi Asi says the following. So who wrote Proverbs? King Solomon. He was a wise man. In fact, according to him, he was the wisest man, as he wrote it. The wisest man who ever lived. Moses was the humblest man. King Solomon, the wisest man. Didn't say the wisest woman. That's, that's, still a, uh, you know, that's still up for grabs. The wisest man was King Solomon. The Talmud says, Rabbi Asi says, What does it mean, taiga beleviash to quash anxiety? Quash it? Was it magic? No. Discuss it with another. You see, chena la acherim. Discuss it, verbalize it, vocalize it, share it, and express it with others. And that is the way to deal with anxiety. The commentaries on the Talmud discuss, well, how does that work? Right? So now that we've said, not just quashing it, but discussing it, well, how does that make it better? And the commentaries point out a number of things. Number one, when you discuss something, first thing is, you're acknowledging it. Right? You're, you're naming it. You're identifying it. You're identifying the problem. As long as, 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 so long as it hasn't moved from your mind or your heart into your words. You might be anxious. You might be nervous. You might be scared. You might be frightened. You might be jealous. You might be angry. You might be any one of any number of negative emotions, but you might not understand what it is. You might not be able to hone in on what it is exactly that you need to deal with. The moment you articulate it, now you can deal with it. That's benefit number one of Yesi alakhir. Benefit number two of discussing it is when you discuss it, not only do you label it, when you discuss it, you can begin to get clarity yourself. Right? Not only as to the problem, but also to, as to the solution. As you and I know, when you talk about something, you talk something through, suddenly you're like, you know what? I actually don't need your help. I figured it out myself. Right? I figured it out. How and why? That's the magical process of communication. That's why human beings are called the Middab or the communicator. We're not called the of the thinker in Jewish thought. We're called the communicator. The gift of communication is the greatest gift that we possess because it is the one that touches the core of our soul and it clarifies those things that are in our sechel in our mind. The, the, the height of humanity is not in our intelligence, but it's in our ability to communicate, which enhances our own intelligence. So, articulating a problem and sharing it with someone else, number one, allows us to acknowledge and identify what the problem is. Number two, it allows us perhaps to come up with solutions on our own. Number three, if we can't, it gives the opportunity for someone else, an objective party, someone who's not us, someone who's not stuck in the problem, to hear the problem and to give advice to get us out of the problem. Does that make sense? So that's Rabbi Asi. So clearly Jewish teachings dating back all the way to the book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon. This is before Freud, by the way. King Solomon lived before a fellow Jew, Simeon Freud. So King Solomon writes that what is the best way to address your inner anxiety? According to the Talmud, one Talmudic interpretation, Yisichana and discuss it with someone else. Right? Have a conversation. If you need to pay them, pay them. Right? But, The idea is, discuss it, talk it, talk it out. They can help. That's one interpretation. But today I want to focus on the second interpretation, which in the Talmud is actually the first. I told you there's Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi. That was all Rabbi Asi's opinion. Rabbi Ami has a different understanding of the original verse that said to quash anxiety. Rabbi Ami has another reading of that verse, another alternative reading Of that word. Not yashchena, quash. Not yisichena, discuss, but rather he has a third meaning of that one word, yaschena, which means banish the thoughts from your mind. Yaschena means banish the negative thoughts, the anxious thoughts, right? The disturbed thoughts, banish them from your mind. What Rabbi Ami is advocating is another model of healing. Not discussing it, not examining it, turning it over from every angle and problem-solving it, but to banish it, to eject it, to remove it from one's mind. In other words, what is the best way to deal with thoughts that are distracting, that are, that are like a diversion to our, to our inner health? The best thing to do with that, he says, is move along. Eject it, and keep on moving forward. So my friends, as we'll see today, in a number of occasions, to a number of individuals, the Rebbe um, utilized and advocated for this approach, this third approach, or the second approach that that, that I've mentioned, um, to deal with challenges of both mind and heart. This idea of yaskana, this idea of removing it from one's mind, removing it from outside of one's focus, Yes, there were many times that the Rebbe advised people to seek professional help, whether it was therapy or medication, etc. Obviously, it goes without saying. Today's class, we would have not, I don't know that there would be much to share, to say that when one needs professional help, one should go to professional help. That, that seems to be, um, that seems to be uh, a clear and obvious truth. But what I want to share with you today is a unique perspective that the Rebbe shared on specific occasions to specific individuals, but that might be helpful in certain situations that we find ourselves in. That is under certain circumstances or in certain situations, it's about, it's less about focusing on the problem and more about clearing out the problem to allow, to allow one's inner health to emerge. And I'm going to, we're going to explore this in depth. I know I'm giving you the outline of where we're going with this. Um, you'll see we're going to go through four case studies, two that are in letters, two that are in video. Four case studies where the Rebbe utilized this approach in one way or another, um, and and guided and counselled people toward better mental and emotional well-being. Um, and along the way, we'll also encounter the underpinnings, the core spiritual and psychological underpinnings of this approach, and we'll also discover the unique connection and relationship that the Rebbe had with one Dr. Viktor Frankl, the famed Jewish-Austrian psychotherapist, founder of Logotherapy, and the author of Man's Search for Meaning. All of this coming up today in lesson number four of Advice for Life. So now let's go to the case studies. Let's go to the case studies. Case study number, any questions so far? All make sense? Yes? How do you spell, what are the Hebrew
1: letters for, for, for Yasko?
0: Yeah, well, the original is yashchena, yud, shin, ches, nun, hey. Yashchena. I mean, a shin could be a sin. Move the dot from right to left. Boom. Now it's yashchena. Add a little, let a under the sin. Yashchena. Boom. Yashchena, yashchena, yashchena. It all works. It's all the same Hebrew, same Hebrew consonants, just different Yeah. And you said that was Rabbi Ami? Ami. Rabbi Ami was the one. Ami. Is banish it. Rabbi Ass. he said, discuss it. Discuss it is classic classic, ther- classic psychology therapy, is discussing it, ruminating, like working through it. Rabbi Ami advocates what seems to be more of a radical approach, banish it. I, and today we're gonna explore what that means. What, is it, what does that look like in practice? What does it mean? How does it work and how it really aligns with some uh, very powerful psychological theories of healing? Now, let's go to the case studies. I think, and I know it gave you kind of the overview and framework of where we're going today, but now let's fill it in. I almost gave you like the sketch, the sketchy sketch. Now we're going to color it in. Let's color it in together. We're going to start with text 1. And once again this week, I'm going to take the liberty of reading the text um, and interjecting my own commentary. So here we go. We're going to start with text 1A. What page? 92. So this goes back to 1965. In 1965, a young man reached out to the rabbi. Now, as, I, as I've shared with you in previous sessions, we don't have the letters that people sent in. All we have are the responses that the Rebbe wrote in reply to letters that were submitted. Now, personal information, details, etc., anything that would, so if it was too personal, it was never published. If it was not too personal, then all the personal details were redacted, but we have the core advice. So there is some extrapolation that we are going to be doing based on the response to understand what it was that the, that the writer wrote. We don't have that communication clearly, but we, there's enough information in the Rebbe's response where we can figure out, more or less, we can piece this together. So here we go. Here's what we know. In ninth, this letter dates back to 1965. A young man writes to the Rebbe. By the way, we know the gender of the writer based on how the Rebbe addressed the letter. He would write, Shalom uvracha to men and bracha v'shalom to women. He would switch the order of the greeting. Of the di- shalom bracha means peace and blessings. To he write right, to men, to women he would write blessings and peace. He would just reverse the order. So if it starts off shalom bracha, we know that a man wrote the letter to respond to a man, and vice versa for women. So, huh? How uh, do you know it's a young man? From other clues in the letter. We don't. The whole letter is not here, but it, we have clues from, from the letter. So a young man reached out to the Rebbe in 1965. He was struggling with two issues. At least two issues are addressed in the Rebbe's response. Number one, issue number one, negative thoughts, disturbing thoughts. Now, what are those negative thoughts, disturbing thoughts? So I don't know. Were they um, self-harm? Was it spiritually um, impure thoughts, etc.? I, I don't know the exact nature of those thoughts, but he was struggling with keeping his thoughts in a healthy place. Okay, that was number one. Number two, he was dealing with a lot of guilt and shame over past negative behavior, negative choices that he had made. So those are the two things that he writes about. Here is what the Rebbe writes. And we're going to do this in three parts. Text 1A, 1B, 1C. Text 1A. The Rebbe writes as follows. With regard to the thought which you expressed in your letter, again, we don't know what that is, but regarding that, the Rebbe writes, I believe I've already written to you before that there are many problems and states of mind which are best dealt with by dismissing them from the mind completely, at any rate, for a period of time. It is then possible to return to those problems with a fresh mind and and in a more objective state, so as to evaluate the problems in their true perspective and reality, and it is then easier to find the proper solution. In the vast majority of such cases, the individual himself can decide how long this period of dismissal from attention should be, judging by the degree of objectivity uh, which he can attain as time goes on. In short, to kind of summarize this first part, um, the Rebbe is essentially advocating that the individual that wrote to him dismiss, push away, in the language of the letter, this was written in English, it's not a translation, to literally um, dismiss them from the mind completely, to push them out, of the mind, whether it's permanently, or for a little bit amount of time, either way. Now, But that raises the obvious question. The obvious question is, well, how do you push away a thought? How do you dismiss a thought from your mind? That seems way easier said than done, right? Um, aside from, we're going to deal with the idea of are we just trying to, like, cover up problems and, and dismiss them and not deal with them? I, we're going to address that in a moment, but let's first, first understand what the Rebbe is saying. He's saying dismiss it from the mind. It's like, you know, the famous uh, thing about, the famous experiment, like Try not to think about a pink elephant, and the only thing you think about is a pink elephant. So, like, how do you dismiss something from the mind? The more you try not to think about it, the more you're going to think about it. So, here the Rebbe continues, text 1b. And he says, it's not simply about banishing a thought or dismissing a thought, it's about redirecting thought, it's about replacing it with another thought, with a happier thought, with a healthier thought. Text 1b. Needless to say, Needless to say also, that it is not an easy thing to dismiss a problem from the mind, especially a matter that involves one's own self. This would be almost impossible, unless one can engage one's thought and attention in a completely unrelated subject. For man's thinking process is constantly in a state of flux, and has a tendency, consciously or subconsciously, to revert to the subject matter which one wishes to dismiss from the mind. Therefore, when resolving to dismiss the matter from one's mind, it is necessary immediately to find some other subject unrelated to the first in which to engage one's attention. Another point, which is also almost universally true, is that it is not easy for the person involved to find the proper subject in which to engage one's mind. But here it is possible to receive help from friends who would know you and your psychological makeup. Undoubtedly, you have such friends within reach. The Rebbe here advocates, not simply for dismissing uh, these negative thoughts, and again, what they were, I don't know, it would probably help if we knew, but we don't. But the rebel was advocating not or advising not just for dismissing thoughts, because as he's saying, that's not, you can't do that. but rather more precisely, to re-channel, to redirect, to replace those thoughts with other thoughts, other thoughts that are not related to those original thoughts, but in a completely different direction in a healthier space. And if the person who's too close to themselves can't come up with a thought that is so different than the original thought and they find themselves stuck in a loop, then ask someone for help. Find a friend, a friend who knows you, and ask them to help you through this and to guide you toward a, a redirected thought. Um, that, is how, that is what the Rebbe is advocating. Now, then the Rebbe addresses in text 1c the second issue. The second issue was, as I mentioned before, guilt shame, remorse, um, et cetera, over the past. And the Rebbe says something fascinating. This is text 1c. Generally, he says, page 94, there is the teaching of our sages that nothing stands in the way of repentance for the past and commitment for the future. Here too, the principle enunciated above may be applied, namely, that although it is necessary to end the transgression immediately, whether it is a sin of commission, or omission, it is also often necessary to end immediately any self-recrimination or brooding in regard to the sins of the past. One of the obvious reasons for this is that brooding over past failures is bound to be depressing and discouraging and would undermine one's confidence in the future, even one's confidence in the efficacy of tshuva repentance. Therefore, it is advisable to dismiss such thoughts for the time being and leave them for a more propitious times for more propitious times. May God grant that you should have good news to report in regard to all the above. This is powerful. The Rebbe is addressing one of the areas that I think people, human beings, often get stuck in, which is beating ourselves up over the past. To quote Jackie Mason, every Jew knows a building that he could have bought in Manhattan or in New York, right, for $5. Oh, if I would have bought that building, I'd be rich today. Okay, now that's a joke, but real life is not always a joke. How often do we beat ourselves up for either the things that we've done, commission, or the things that we haven't done, as Rebbe says, omission. We're not talking about buying or not buying a building. These would be things things that we should really feel guilty about. And we think that the more guilty we feel, the more righteous we are. Because isn't that a sign that we're righteous? Isn't that a sign that we're a good person with a healthy conscience? If we feel bad, doesn't that mean that That we're, that we're, we have a a moral and ethical spiritual compass. And the Rebbe says, yeah, not exactly. Not exactly. Because what that also means is that you don't believe in the power of Teshuvah. Because Teshuvah, repentance, return, changing, pivoting means that you've changed and therefore there's no reason to look at the past anymore. Right? That's not the same you. That's not the same you. Does this make sense? Yeah? If you really believed in God, If you really believed in Judaism, if you really believed in Teshuvah, if you really believed in yourself, then why are you bringing the past back? Why are you digging that up? So Tzvi Freeman, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, lives in our community here. An unbelievable scholar and and articulator of of deep ideas. So we have a, a magazine that we publish a few times a year called Currents. A magazine that is from this community, people write whatever they want, open forum, ideas, thoughts, Torah ideas, etc. So he wrote something about Teshuvah in our high holiday issue. So he, and if, if anybody wants a copy, let me know. I can give you a copy. It's a fantastic magazine. Um, okay, so he writes over there that beating yourself up over the past, and it's similar to what the Rebbe writes. And I'm paraphrasing what Svi Freeman wrote, wrote, what he wrote, but something like this. It's voyeuristically reliving the thrill of sin. What a, what? It's not self-righteous. It's, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you're reliving it.
1: What about if it's not sin? It's just uh, a mistake. You didn't
0: buy the gold. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who feels guilty about doing something wrong. Objectively wrong. Again, the feeling of guilt is the, the Yetzirah's way, the evil connection's way of getting you to taste it again. It's giving you a taste of sin again. To really move away from it means you moved on. You're not bringing it up, even in a self-righteous way. I know what you're thinking. So then why do we, Yom Kippur, why do we say, I did this, I did that. Okay, we'll leave that for a, a, a different time and discussion. But the point here is, the Reb is advising this person, your, your, your guilt is keeping you stuck, or is keeping you in a negative space. Okay? Meditate on the power of Teshuvah. Meditate on the power of Judaism. The belief, that, the Jewish belief in changing oneself, becoming a different person, and then leave it behind. This is similar to the first half of the letter. How is it similar? The first half of the letter, the Rebbe advises the same person about dismissing the negative thoughts. Whether they're about, it's about the current thoughts or the past indiscretions, it's the same advice. Move, move past it. Move past it, and there you will find healing. How does it work spiritually? How does it work psychologically? We're going to get into it, but this is the advice. I want to lay it out in four acts, in four case studies, and then get back to the how. But here's now the what. So the Rebbe is, the rep. now again, not in all cases. Obviously, in certain cases, you need to deal with it. You need to expose it. You need to dissect it to work through it. Sure. But in this case, the Rebbe was saying to this person, distracting thoughts, negative thoughts, dismiss them, move, move move, in a different space. Get your head into a healthier space. Don't worry about that. The past, don't worry about the past. past is past. Keep it, stay in a good space. That's number one. Number two, case study number two. And again, I know there's open questions on this. How does it work? Why does it work? Does it even sound or feel right? We're going to get there in a second. Second case study. Second case study has to do with, or, or involves, a woman whose name is... Whose name is... Uh, whose name was Mrs. Tybel Lipsker. Now, who is Mrs. Tybel Lipsker? She lived in New York. Not originally from New York, as you'll see in the video. She is the grandmother, or was the grandmother, of our very own, Rabbi Zalman Lipsker, who is the rabbi at Chabad at Emory University. So the rabbi at Chabad at Emory University, right? Emory. Chabad rabbi, rabbi and Mrs. Lipsker. So Rabbi Lipsker's grandmother is the focus of our second case study. You'll see in a second what's her story. Her story is as follows. Her story is she grew up Amidst poverty and amidst a lot of, a lot of uh, um, difficulty, a lot of challenge, she, that affected her very diffi- in a very severe way with anxiety and sadness. She turned to the Rebbe for advice. This is the advice that the Rebbe gave her. All right, here we go. Thank you, Yaakov. <laughs> oh, did it follow me? Okay, so one second. One second. All right, I right. know I know what to do with cameras like this. I put up the stop sign, and then it stops following me. Okay, here we go.
1: My grandmother, Taiba Lipsker, was a very, very special and holy woman. Like many of our grandmothers, she did not enjoy a serene and easy, smooth life. Growing up in Bolshevik communist Russia as a Jew, was difficult. Raising a family in Georgia during the 1930s under Stalin's tyranny.
0: The other Georgia. Was far
1: from simple. Then came the war. They escaped the former Soviet Union on false papers, came to the displaced persons camps, the DP camps. Again, life was anything but serene, raising a large family, sometimes in one bedroom flat. My grandparents made it in 1947 to the United States of America. They settled on a farm in New Jersey. That too didn't turn out so successful and they relocated to Brooklyn, New York. My grandparents raised nine beautiful, amazing children and a 10th orphan. Making a livelihood proved very complicated and the upheavals of her life took their toll on her. She suffered from anxiety, from depression, from melancholy. And one day my grandmother, consulted the Lubavitcher Rebbe what to do about her internal, psychological and emotional state. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave her fascinating advice. He suggested to her that she go to as many Jewish weddings as possible and to dance away at these weddings and inspire other people to dance. As it happens to be, my grandmother was an exceptionally skilled dancer. She embraced the Rebbe's advice And for decades, she would go to every possible wedding and dance away. Family, friends, relatives, community members, and sometimes complete strangers. Everybody knew Mrs. Lipsker is here. She is the life of the wedding and the life of the party. This was not part of her nature. This was quite contrary to her nature, but she did it and she did it with every fiber of her being. She lived in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. There were many Bali children, young women and men who returned to Judaism. And they had small families attending the wedding or sometimes no families. And my grandmother would come in and she brought so much joy and vigor and stamina and inspiration to the wedding. She would dance away sometimes for hours with the bride and with the mothers and with the siblings and with the families and with the relatives. And indeed, the joy that she brought to hundreds and thousands of people over long decades, it came back to her. It gave her so much joy, and strength, and fortitude, and resilience, and inspiration. Besides the fact exercising a few times a week for a few hours a night, and dancing with all your might is also very effective for anxiety.
0: So I'll tell you, I'll tell you the crazy, it's like the postscript of this. So Zaman, Rabbi Zamon at Emery, he also, like at every wedding, he's like on the dance floor and he dances. And his siblings also. And he didn't know this story. All he knew is that his grandmother would da- like it was a family thing that they would dance at weddings for hours. Like no one's on the dance floor, everyone's eating dinner, but the band is playing music. He's dancing. And it's like, it's like now generational. It's like generational generation trauma. It's like generational dancing. But look at what happens. You can pass down your trauma. You can pass pass down your dance moves. You can integrate. You can can live in the space of anxiety and sadness. Or you can open up and dance the night away. It helps when you're in Crown Heights and there's like a (laughs) wedding every night. (laughs) Atlanta would be a little bit harder to find a Jewish wedding each night. But... This is, the, this is, this is another, era, another example of this sort of advice, which is, yeah, you can examine it. You can put it up under a microscope. You can enlarge it. You can try to dissect it. Where's it coming from? What's the trauma? Okay, that's one approach. This approach is a little bit different. It's, yes, the problems are real. The trauma is real. But how about dancing? How about dancing? That's the second case study. Let's talk about the third case study. So it's like the Nike approach. Just Jewett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Just for those that were, that were confused, I said Rabbi Lipsker, and then another rabbi got up there talking about his grandmother. Uh, she had a lot of grandchildren. She has a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> There's more than one. So I mentioned the local connection, the one presenting her story was. She passed away just a few years ago. She lived a very. Uh, long, long and, 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 you know, a very rich life. Um, okay. Third case study, right? First case study was the letter. Second case study was the dancing. Third case study has to do with someone who a Jew who was incarcerated. So here we go. Case study number three. Um, this, the story goes, uh, what was the year? I don't. I don't know the year. It might be on the, the timestamp of the video that we're going to show soon. Uh, no, it's a video. You're not going to see it. You're, it's not. It's not in the book. I don't think it's in the book. Um, okay. So in this video, we're going to see somebody who was recently released from prison. Actually, we won't see him. He's pixelated to protect his privacy. But he comes to the rabbi at the at dollars. The dollars were the you know after. Time had such time when it was no longer possible for everyone that wanted to meet with the rabbi privately to meet privately. The rabbi would stand Sundays for hours, meeting people, and you know people would line up, and then for a few moments you had a chance to receive a blessing, to ask maybe to get in a quick question, a quick response, chik chak, and then receive a dollar to give to tzedakah on the occasion, etc. So this fellow goes by to ask. Uh, well, really, what he did was he wanted to thank the rabbi for his help while he was in prison. So for that, I need to just give a quick introduction. A few years before this story that we're gonna see on video, the Rebbe founded an institution called the Aleph Institute. The Aleph Institute, which is based in Bell Harbor, Florida, those that know Rabbi Lipsker, at the Shul. Anybody been to the Shul? The Shul in Bell Harbor? Yeah, it's massive and it's gorgeous, huh? It's Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite of tiny. Anyway, Rabbi Lipsker, who's the head of that Shoal, also related to the Rabbi Lipsker. I know we've got a lot of Lipskers here. Whatever. Anyway, the point is like this: like, Rabbi Lipsker, huh? It's like the proper pen. Maybe I don't know that. But anyway, so here's the point. The, the point, yes. The point is that that Rabbi Lipsker, uh, that Rabbi called to, uh, to create this institute called the Aleph Institute, which helps Jewish prisoners physically and spiritually with their physical needs and spiritual needs, and active, very active till this day. I uh, personally have had the opportunity to you know connect with the Aleph Institute and visit Jewish inmates in prison. Uh, you know, holiday time, Purim and other holiday time to bring good cheer and bring uh, posit- positive energy, etc. It's, it's one of the, the Rebbe's vision that no Jew should be left behind, no matter where you are, whether it's far-flung reaches of the earth, literally in Vietnam, Congo, wherever you are in the world, or even if you're around the corner but incarcerated, there should always be an opportunity. to. this. You should know that someone cares about you that you're loved, you're part of a community, and that your needs, somebody will be attentive to your needs. So, the, this Alph Institute helped this person in prison, and this individual, upon release, came by the Rebbe to thank him. The video shows this man, again, pixelated, walking before the Rebbe, and he says, thank you for all your help. Again, paraphrasing. And the Rebbe says to him, the main thing is he says to forget about your past. He says those approximately those words, forget about your past. And the man says back, I will not forget. So he says. And then the Rebbe says, he replies to him, He says, by the exodus from Egypt, the key to freedom is being able to let go of the past. I bless you that you should have the ability as well to be able to let go of the past and move on. That's the short interactions. So again, the whole video is about 57 seconds. And that's including the do 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 the introduction that we didn't get, right? And the outro, the intro and outro. And essentially, essentially, <coughs> what the Rebbe is saying in that interaction is something that, again, is powerful. And it's not meant to be in a flippant way. Like, oh, just forget about the, the, forget the past. You know, forget, forget everything. Forget prison. There's a... Uh, one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most powerful mitzvot in the Torah is in the book of Deuteronomy. Where the Torah tells us, do not hate the Egyptian. For you were... Uh, for you were... Um... You were slaves. No, 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 no. It doesn't <laughs> say slaves. Don't hate the Egyptian because you were... Um, no, 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 you were sojourners, you stayed, you were, I don't know, you, you, you were in their land. So don't hate the Egyptian.
1: Was that the one that you're, you were, strangers in a strange, strange land?
0: No, that's not exactly what it says, but it says, you don't hate the Egyptian because you, because you live there, okay? So by all accounts, the verse makes no sense. I mean, what, we're trying to, we're gonna re we're gonna, re, um, re-imagine. We're gonna like, re, recreate history here? It's like, oh, we had a very peaceful stay. It was like, uh, you know, the Four Seasons, right? The Four Seasons. And it was amazing. And so why would you hate the Egyptians? They took such good care of us. Are you kidding me? They beat us, forced labor. They brutalized, uh, they abused the Jewish women, the children. They used them as mortar for the, for, the, for the buildings that they built. They threw the boys into the Nile. They committed um, infanticide. Are you kidding me? Don't hate the Egyptian. Because you, were, you, were, you lived in their land. What, you, what, kind of, what kind of mitzvah is that? It's 1 of the 613. But the explanation is powerful. Stronger than the question is the answer. And the answer is, so long as you hate the Egyptian, guess what? You're still a slave. So long as you hate, it still has a grip on you. If you really want to be free, you, for yourself, not because they deserve it, for yourself, you need to have the ability to move beyond that experience. So long as you can't get rid of that experience. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did? you know what you did? you know what? Where are you? You're still in Egypt. You're still back in Egypt the whole time. Egypt, 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 Marsha, 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 the whole time. Obsessed with Egypt. I know what you're thinking. Aren't we obsessed with Egypt? We're obsessed with the exodus from Egypt with this very theme. We're obsessed with moving beyond Egypt. We have a whole holiday committed to that. How does that jive with uh, um, what you said about Amalek? I was thinking the very same thing. Amalek, he says, forget. Er Erase Amalek. Move beyond. How do we get Amalek? Amalek will have to leave for for another time. But the point is, the rabbi spoke to this man and he said, forget about it. He said, I can't forget about it. And they're ever reminded him about Egypt. The whole experience of Egypt is about moving past. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. doesn't mean it was great. doesn't mean it, it didn't cause trauma. But the point is like this. You have a choice right now in this moment. You're going to be stuck or you're going to move. Those are the two choices. Either yes or no. You're stuck or you're not stuck. Choose not to be stuck in this moment. That was the Rebbe's advice for this person. Powerful advice. Powerful life advice in this moment to not get stuck yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe
2: with that comparison, not, not to completely forget about it, and like we do have the Passover holiday or that one time we do remember it and we do retell it, but like move on from it the rest
0: of the time. Like, you, know you know what? Very well, well said. Excellent. I love that. Remember it. I love that. And, and yeah. even to go even like to, to round out what you're saying, it's not only to have one time, but it's to do so On your terms, not on its terms. No attachment, attachment, not only that, but not as a reactive. Not in a reactive way. Like, oh, it's creeping up on me. Oh no, what happened? This is a proactive, intentional, on the calendar. We're going to get around, save space, family and friends, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to move past it once again. It's done in a very surgical fashion. It's not allowing those emotions or that anxiety to get the better of us. It is intentionally Taking care of this. Okay.
1: Forgive. Don't forget, but you can forgive.
0: It's not even about forgiving. It's about, it's not saying that they shouldn't be punished or that they were, you know, it's not about forgiving as much as it is about you not hating. It doesn't say forgive the Egyptian, it says don't hate the Egyptian. Those are two different things. You can seek justice and not have, and not bear hate. And I think that's a major piece of it also. It doesn't mean that you should be let, let off the hook. It doesn't mean like, but the question is, where, where am I? Am I obsessed with that hate? That's not a healthy place for me to be in yet. Being mindful about your mental health. Correct. Correct. In my opinion, the power of that mitzvah, which is, complete, in my opinion, completely overlooked of the 613. Who even knows that mitzvah? Don't hate the Egyptian. Never heard of it before, right? The don't hate the Egyptian to me is the most liberating mitzvah. One of the most liberating mitzvahs. And it acknowledges the human tendency to fixate, and to seek revenge, and to, and, to be st- and, and in doing so, you could be justified, you could be right, you could be 100%, you're right, you're right, you're right. And you know what? You're just locking yourself up. You're just keeping yourself stuck. How do you get there? Ah, oh, okay, we'll talk about that. It also
2: accentuates the positive. It turns the negative to think about it as positive. You did live off the land. You did eat... The foods that were there. You, 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 ha- you know, your are not going to it turns a negative experience to at least get the positive out of it. You lived off that. Lesson.
0: The lessons from it, sure. Yeah, that might be hard. hard. Yeah. But it, um, what is the difference <clears throat> in obsessing
1: over the, the experience while you we were in Egypt as opposed to the exodus from Egypt? I mean,
0: You're saying in the Passover retelling? Yes. It's almost like reminding ourselves once a year that we have the ability to experience trauma and still move past it. And the message is, in, in that lesson, the message is not, let's, let's get stuck in it again. The message is, how do we use that pattern for our other traumas, for our subsequent challenges? How do we use that so that the next time something negative happens, or the next time I reflect on something negative, I don't find myself becoming totally overwhelmed and Suffocated and paralyzed by that fear, jealousy, anger, etc. Your perspective
1: of the negative. I mean, we should rejoice in the exodus.
0: Correct. And that's worthy.
1: Right. So your perspective of the event or the feeling is how you approach it is important. I mean, Correct. That's the
0: whole key. Correct. And I would say more than I would say even uh, on top of what you're saying, even more important than rejoicing over the physical exodus. Is the, rec- the, is the recognition that we are empowered to undergo the most important piece of it, which is the internal exodus. Because a person can be out of Egypt and then turn around like it was in the actual story, and the Egyptians are right there. It's like, but I thought I left. Oh, no, you took us out with you. <laughs> you didn't leave. I know that's not exactly what happened in the literal story, but metaphorically, that's what happens. You can be, you can be you know, 100 miles from Egypt, and then you turn around, it's like, oh, my problems are still here. Because I, I might have run away, but I didn't, I didn't address it. And so again, it's about also recognizing that balance between, um, <coughs> between the physical piece of it and the internal work. And so sometimes that work has to happen. Sometimes you gotta slow down, turn around. Sometimes like in the exit, like in that sea story, you gotta keep on moving through the water. You gotta keep on moving and not slow down. So you, you gotta know when to hold them, gotta know when to fold them. You gotta know when to walk away. And you gotta know when to run. <laughs> do, 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 do. Sitting at the table. Listen, if Beyoncé can release a country album, right? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Rap? Or a single? I can release a little we can introduce a little country into this trolls into this uh, into this class. Okay. Um yeah, let's let's continue because we got a lot to get to. So let's let's move to the next piece. Um, fourth case study. We have four case studies, we did three out of four again to recap. First case study was the person who was struggling with uh, um, distracting th- negative thoughts and guilt over the past. Second case study was Mrs. Lipsker. Third case study was not the video, was the, was the person who, the former inmate. Fourth case study is the sister. Okay, what's going on here? So a mother writes a letter to the Rebbe in 1960 com- uh, um, concerned about her daughter, her younger daughter. She had two daughters. And the younger daughter was um, was not as... Uh, engaged in life, was not as upbeat, was not as active as she would like. She was concerned about her daughter's just internal well-being, well-being because she seems to have checked out a little bit on, on life's activities. Um, the Rebbe writes a letter back, very insightful, um, as can be imagined, but also very interesting in the angle of the approach. Text 2A, I'm going to read this, page 95. The reasons for your younger daughter's condition are not at all complicated. The causes seem to lie in the fact that your daughter is subconsciously jealous of her older sister. And such a feeling manifests itself by a desire not to be interested in those activities where the person is unable to compete successfully. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The The older daughter is very successful The younger daughter is intimidated, or or jealous, or whatever it is, and so she's like, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of the math club. The I don't know what the letter was, but whatever it is, because I don't want to be inferior. Therefore, your younger daughter shows little inclination to engage in the activities in which her sister is more successful than she. However, since such is the attitude of jealousy, creating a subconscious feeling of guilt, one is prone to compensate for it by an outward show of attachment. That is why she flies to the defense of her sister if anyone should say anything disparaging against her. So on the one hand, she is jealous of her sister or seeking to avoid that type of being less than her sister, living in that her sister's shadow is affecting her to the point that she wants that she's disengaging from certain activities. On the other hand, because she feels guilty about that, so she is very much flying to the defense of her sister, which kind of creates this duality of, of running away and running toward. So that's the first part of the letter. Second part of the letter, Rebbe advises what to do about this, text 2b. At the same time, this diagnosis suggests also the method of therapy, namely that every effort should be made to restore her confidence by offering her opportunities to engage in such activities where she can take a leading part and excel herself. Needless to say, this should be done in a gradual way, for in her present state of mind, she would be reluctant to undertake responsibilities all at once. But surely, both at school and in other cultural circles, there are opportunities for her to develop her artistic and other talents. It would be, a, it would be psychologically beneficial to her if, if the activities would be of a kind in which her sister does not participate. The choice of such activities is fairly wide, and they could be cultural, charitable, or youth work among Jewish youth and the like. The Rebbe was basically advising, find a space for your younger daughter to take the lead, to be her own person to spread her own wings, to excel, to be, to be a champion, to be a champion, to be, uh, to be a, con- a contributor. And this will make a tremendous difference in her life. Now, again, the advice seems fairly intuitive. It seems even fairly obvious once it's spelled out. The younger daughter is struggling in certain, or, or checking out of certain areas, not interested. The rabbi says it's not disinterest. It's not like she's giving up on life it's it's that she doesn't want to she can't compete with her older sister give her her own space create her own lane and she will excel in that space but once again just to kind of connect the dots here we see a similar a similar focus the rebbe is not saying you know to focus on the problem the rebbe is saying focus on the solution if this is the area of challenge great give her an opportunity elsewhere to excel find another space for the magic to happen and then the magic will happen. So, again, it's about moving away from the areas that one seems stuck in. This is the, the Rebbe's advice in this case as well. So, we've described it in four cases, four scenarios. Each case is different, each case is unique. We've explained how, we, we've shown how the Rebbe guided four individuals in four cases to kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, move on or move past or move in a different space, move in a different area. And our question is, well, how does this work? And we said it's based on the, you know, the Talmud and, 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 the, and the verse from Proverbs, Daiga belev yaschena. If you have a, a an anxiety in the mind or a ch- internal challenge, then the key is to push it away, to dismiss it. How, so we talked about how that. We talked about you know, how you dismiss a thought. It's not about dismissing. It's more about rechanneling or reengaging somewhere else. But how does it actually work? And is it even healthy? Is it, perhaps, does it seem a little too simplistic? Like, oh, don't worry about it, do something else. What is it, distraction? What are we talking about here? So I need to clarify. The Rebbe's perspective, the Jewish perspective, in, in, this, in this avenue of, of help, is very deep and very powerful. And it's based off of a core spiritual truth in Judaism, and that is, and it's a belief, that at the core of the human being lies an inner reservoir of health. That at the core of the human being lies a divine soul, A piece of God that is, at its core, full of love, full of beauty, full of harmony, and full of health. That that is the truth of who we are. And that the other stuff, the other layers that exist within ourselves, don't represent the true us, but an aberration, some uh, some sort of obfuscation, some sort of concealing layer that hides on the core beautiful truth that lies inside. Which means that if you were to know that inside this husk, if you were holding a clump of dirt and someone told you inside this dirt there is a diamond, what would you do? Would you start analyzing the dirt? Or would you seek to brush it away to get to the beautiful core inside? I would assume that instead of spending all your time analyzing, right, magnifying, right, turning over, identifying the exact type of dirt that there is, you would probably spend a little bit more effort and more time clearing the dirt, wiping away the schmutz. You know, that's dirt in Yiddish. It's a great word. Wiping away the schmutz, getting rid of the dirt, and get to the diamond. But that's only if you know and if you believe and you trust that deep down there is that diamond. Judaism believes that. The Rebbe believed in people. And again, in some cases, obviously, the third time I've said this caveat, in some cases... There is no other option other than really the, the professional help you know, or, or medical. You know, you, you, sometimes you got to deal with it on that level. But oftentimes, or sometimes, at least we can say sometimes, the Rebbe advised people to recognize that inside there is that space of health and beauty. And there's that, 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 that pure core. And the greatest thing, the, the best step that the person could take that moment is to clear away the schmutz, to clear away the negativity and find that space. At the same time, Judaism has the same view on the world itself. The world is not a jungle. It's a garden, which means that there's beauty in the world. There's something beautiful about the, the rush and the flow of life itself. If a person can get out of their own head, out of their own problems, and just tap into the, the, the vibrations, the energy, the symphony of life, that holds, that itself holds profound healing waters, profound powers of healing. Does that make sense? This is at the core of the Rebbe's advice. It's not flippantly saying, oh, ignore it, it'll go away. No, 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 no. It's, yes, this seems real, it seems very problematic, seems very troubling, but here's the thing, at the core is beauty, at the core is health. Clear it away, you will find it. Or, plug into something else, plug into life, plug into uh, um, uh, 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 you know, areas of life of being productive in which you can channel, which you can connect with that flow of life, that flow of energy that is way healthier than holding up a mirror to ourselves 24 seven and saying, how do I feel, how do I feel, how do I feel about how I feel, about how I feel, about how I feel. Because right? that is a self-perpetuating state of just getting stuck stuck in ourselves, in sometimes, oftentimes, a very unhealthy way. Let's take a look at a text that really brings out this idea. Really beautiful text, text number three. Okay, page 98. The Rebbe wrote this, 1986. Text number three. Seven. Text three, page 98, no? 97. 97. Oh. Yeah, yeah, So, text 98, the Rebbe writes this uh, Sorry, text 3, page 98. The Rebbe writes this in 1986 to um, a mental health professional (coughs) who sought the Rebbe's advice. So we don't know exactly what she wrote, but we know that she, she, she was in the field of mental health, and she asked the Rebbe for advice. Here's what the Rebbe writes. It is difficult to offer counsel from afar as the conditions of the country, the family, and so on have a direct bearing on the situation. Those who observe a situation from close proximity are better and more expertly equipped to arrive at an effective treatment. However, since you are already written to me and everything is by divine providence, I wish to emphasize something that I have witnessed in the majority of similar cases. A decisive and extremely effective method, which to my amazement is not used, at least not as much as it should be used, is Hesachadat. Guiding the patient to entirely remove their mind from actively dwelling on the problematic issues at hand. The more the patient succeeds in ceasing to think about and dwell upon those issues that are that are the cause of their problems, the greater will be the ability of their natural internal healing powers along with their other positive and, and curative aspects to function with increased intensity and bring about healing. The above may be accomplished through arranging that the individuals are preoccupied with activities that lead to personal fulfillment such as doing someone else a favor, something that in any case is acceptable to all and therefore should not be difficult to convince them to do. This is particularly so nowadays when instability is so prevalent and individual needs are so numerous. It is relatively simple to find a way for these individuals to help others with activities that are consonant with the needs and nature of the locale and of the individual who requires healing. A lot of words, but at the core of it, it's a translation, so it's a little bit, a little bit clunky over there. If I, if I may say so myself, but the point of the Rebbe's guidance is as follows: I, you know, he's saying I can't advise without specifics for any specific patient. But one thing that is underutilized is this idea of refocusing instead of focusing on the problem, focus on a solution, focus on. You're getting back into a positive state in life, being productive, feeling productivity, helping someone, seeing that feedback of be- being a benefit to someone else's life, tapping into that space of purity and goodness within, tapping into that space of energy and life and being a productive member of, uh, of the community, of society itself. Natural healing powers, the Rebbe says. Fascinating. There's another letter, text four. The Rebbe says something very similar. I'm not going to read this. We're, we're kind of getting close to the time. Um, one thing that I want to talk about now, for the last minute, uh, last few minutes, is the Rebbe's relationship with Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, as I mentioned at the top of the class, was the founder of logotherapy, an Austrian, a Jewish Austrian psychotherapist. He wrote the book *Man's Search for Meaning*, created again logotherapy, which we'll, t- we'll speak about in a second. He um, also was a Holocaust survivor, spending three years in concentration camps. He saw his father, sorry, his parents, his brother, and his pregnant wife. They were murdered. Um, in uh, during the Holocaust, they were murdered by Nazis, and he experienced. He went through all of that. He, uh, you know, a part of you know his his work, uh, you know, he was able to to kind of frame um, his experiences also also as a sort of laboratory to understand how human beings work. He writes in his book *Man's Search for Meaning* that he saw many strong people uh, not make it. He saw many people who you wouldn't consider strong, physically strong, survive. And he, he came to the conclusion that what determined whether one would live or not, obviously not extenuating factors, but internally, is whether or not someone had a reason to live. The person that had a reason to live, the person that had a why, could figure out a how. In fact, he says anyone that has a why, a, a purpose for living, will figure out a how. Obviously, again, aside from extenuating factors, you know, et cetera. Um, but someone who does not have a why, someone who wakes up in the morning and does not feel that they have a reason to live, that is the most devastating piece of this. Um, the Rebbe was, as is well, as, as well documented, the Rebbe was um, from afar on some level a, a fan of, of Dr. Frankel, Viktor Frankel, and he was very supportive of his efforts. In fact, there's a great story, which we're going to hear soon from the rabbi, the Chabad rabbi in Vienna, um, where uh, Dr. Frankel lived, about his interaction with um, with Viktor Frankl, so he didn't know Viktor Frankl. Um, he hadn't met him, but one year, Viktor Frankl sends in a donation, and every year the annual campaign, he sends in a donation. He doesn't know why until his until this story, the following story is revealed to him. All right, this is uh, we're going to show this video, and then we're going to shortly close out this lesson. That yeah, works.
2: Rabbi Yaakov Bitterman is the director of Chabad Lubavitch in Austria. Shortly after he arrived in Vienna in
1: 1981, he began to receive annual contributions from Dr. Viktor Frankl, the pioneering psychiatrist and founder of Logo Therapy. <laughs>
2: ‫לארגון שעוסק בהפסת היהדות, למות שהוא עצמו לא... פשוט צורה לא הזדהה, כ- ‫כאדם ששייך, ‫נפטרה לנו הרבה שנים אחר כך. Mm-hmm. ‫רק בשנת תפשינו יש hey. ‫איש פיתחון מודיע לי ‫שישנה שמבוגרת, ‫שמעוניינת לי, אותי, ו... mm-hmm. ‫ואני אמרת שיכניס אותה. ‫והיא במגדים האלו ‫ואמרה לי, קוראים לי mm-hmm. מרגרטה חיוס, אם אתה חושב שאתם, השלוחים הראשונים של רבי לאוסטריה, יש לי בשולך הפתעה, אני הייתי השליחה הראשונה של רבי לאוסטריה. הייתי די אמור, והיא ממשיכה לספר. היא קיבלה הזמנה אני סיפרתי לרבי שמפעם לפעם אני חוזרת לאוסטריה, ובסיום אותו מבקש, אותה יחידות, הרבי ביקש ממנה, שבפעם הבאה, שהיא נוסעת לאוסריה, הוא היה רוצה שתיצור קשר עם המזכירות של הרבי. הוא רוצה לבקש ממנה, שתמלא משימה מסוימת. (אז) רק כמה חודשים אחר כך, התכוננתי לבזור לאוסריה. אמרו לי בשמו של הרבי, שכשאני מגיעה לוויני, שניצוק קשר אל פרופסור ויקטור פנקל ושם סולד בשם עבדיי שלא יתייאש ושלא יבוש מפני עמליגים ושיימשיך בדרכו וימשיך באחצת משנתו שיתחזק וערב ימברח אותו שאשם יצליחו ויוסכלו פריצה דרך פרופ ויקטור פנקל היה פסיכיאטר עמית של זיגמורד פרויד לפני השואה בווינה. אחרי שהוא היה במחנות ריקוז וחווה מצבים יוצאי דופן, הגיע למסקנה הפוכה. אמר, האדם ויסודו מחפש תכלית בתוכן לחייו, ולכן הוא אמין שרפואת הנפש מאוד קשורה יותר עם הענקת ואמונה ערכים, לבן אדם. הוא עמד בראש מרפאה חשובה, והוא גם היה מרצה באוניברסיטה והשתתפו רבים אבל יחד עם זאת, הוא היה מושא ללאג ולכלס כי הסקולה הפסיכואנליטית של פרויד שלטה בכיפה והיו מפריעים לו באמצע הרצאות הוא היה עד כדי כך פגוע שהוא ימים כשהוא מגרתה חייס חיפשה אותו במרפאה, בוא שהוא... נשאו קופה לא הופיע. היא הגיעה אליה בביתה. נעקשה בדלת, לא כל הודעה, לא לה, אפשרות לפני כן. והיא נכנסת, לבית, פותחת הדלת, פותחת לה אישה, שלא נראית להודיעה, היא ‫תלוי אצליו ובתוך הבית. ‫היא הייתה בטוחה שזה מאוד מוזר ‫שארבי שולח אותה לעודד ‫מישהו שגר בבית כזה. אבל בכל אופן היא אזרם אומץ ‫והיא שאלה אפשר לראות ‫בבחשה את דוקטור פרנקל, ‫ואז אה, הוא הופיע בפתח הבית ‫והוא שאל אותם מה... מה הגברת רוצה, והיא שיש לה, בשבילו, מסר מרבי שנרסון מברוקלין, ניו יורק. <laughs> היא אומרת, בבת אחת פניו השתנו, הוא אמר לה, יש לה מסר מרב, היא נכנסה, הוא ביקש ומלעלה שבת בסלון, ואז היא אומרת לו, הרב שנרסון ביקש ממני למסור לך שלא תתייאש, שתתחזק, אל תבוש בפני אילו שמליגים, סופך להצליח ותזכה לפריצת דרך. זה היה תוכן הדברים שהיא מצאה. היא אומרת, שלו הייתה משהו שהיא... מעולם לא חפתה אצל אדם מבוגר ועוד אצל אישיות כזו. הוא פשוט פרץ בפחית המהורים. ואחר כך לקח לו זמן עד שהוא יכל לדבר, הוא הראה לניירות שהיו לו על השולחן, אילו היו ניירות תפסי הגירה לאוסטרליה. הוא כל כך מדוכה מהיחס אליו, שהוא החליט אה, לעזוב את וינה, ועכשיו כשהוא קיבל את המסר הזה ממנה המסר שהרבי העביר אליו הוא אמר לה, אני אתחזק אני חוזר אני חוזר לעבודה ואני אמשיך הוא התחיל בצורה מאוד אה, בטוחה להטיף את משנתו הספר שלו משמעות, search for meaning תורגם, יותר ב-12 שפות, <מח> הספר <מח> הופץ בלמעלה מעשרה מיליונות עקים. אני רציתי לאשש את הסיפור הזה, אחרי שהיא סיפרה לי את זה, אני ביקשתי להתקבל פרופסור فرانكل. הוא אז היה די 90, אני התקשרתי אליו ושאלתי אם אוכל להתקבל אליו לפגישה. הוא אישית ענה בטלפון בבית, הוא לי שהוא חלש מדי, הוא לא הוא גם היה קצת קצר רוח, או לא היה במיטבו, אז, אז בכל זאת, בטלפון, שאלתי אותו... אני... עם, עם השם הרבי מלובייץ', הרב שנרסון, אומר לו משהו, הוציאתי פשוט לבדוק את הנתונים, גם איתו אישית. ברגע שהוא שמע את שמושלה רבי, אז נמאת הקול ישנתה לגמרי. הוא פתוני סבלני, הוא אומר, ודאי, ודאי ששמושלה... Rabbi, So
0: here's what
2: I want to say about
0: that. First of all, it's an incredible story. But what I want to say about that specifically is that, so ironically, Viktor Frankl needed a reminder that his work was meaningful, (laughs) right? The guy who wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning, needed a reminder from the Rebbe not to give up on his work. Remember that your work is meaningful. But I think just to go a little bit deeper and to connect everything, then we'll close out today's session. The key to Frankl's approach is really consistent with the Jewish approach one of the Jewish approaches, but the one that we focus on today that the Rebbe advised, uh, um, you know, in, in these situations that we saw. And that is that we can focus on the negative. You can focus on the trauma. You can focus on, you know, exploring the heartbreak and the pain and the loss and the suffering. That's one option. You know, you, the, the Freudian approach is like, let's, let's focus on, on the problem. The other approach, the one that Viktor Frankl advises is to focus on healing, is to focus on health, is to focus on purpose, is to focus on meaning. Right? What is my life for? And wh- where does life need me? It's not what I think Frank writes in his book. At some point in the camps, we soon learned that it's not what we had expected from life, but it's what life had expected from us. And that's a profound shift. And that's consistent with the approach of the Rebbe that we saw today. It's less about myself and my internal challenges. And it's more about what I am needed for, what my purpose is. And in that space of focusing more on purpose than on self, there is healing to be found. And so my friends, as we conclude, as we wrap up today's class, just to quickly recap what we talked about today. Today we learned and discovered the Rebbe's perspective. And I think it's a magnificent Jewish perspective on inner health and healing. And to cut to the chase, as we develop today, Judaism believes that we are, at our core, pure and healthy human beings. And that life itself is teeming with joy and with energy and with beauty. And getting stuck within ourselves and fixating on our problems is not always the best solution. It might keep us stuck in the very problem that we're trying to solve. Sometimes the best thing is To get up is to redirect our attention, seek out opportunities, harness our talents, and start making a difference. And it's not about ignoring the problem. It's about upending it. It's about addressing it really from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's addressing things from the inside out, starting from the place of inner purity and inner beauty. And so, my friends, my blessing for all of us is that we should never get stuck. But if we get stuck, we should remember That inside, we do have a place to go to, a place of purity, a place of beauty. And that outside of ourselves, in life itself, in the experience of life, there are beautiful people around us, beautiful relationships, amazing things, accomplishments that we can do, and a way to be productive, meaningful, and purposeful. And in doing that, we can feel, on a very personal level, better about ourselves. Thank you for joining me today for lesson number four of Advice for Life. Um, I hope you found it meaningful. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I, I have a clap track that we can put, not a laugh track. Now we want the raw, but we have, a, but thank you. Um, I, I invite all of you to join me back next week, same bad time, same bad channel, for our fifth lesson, which is called Above Adversity. Life is a series of challenges, sometimes very big ones. Some challenges appear in the form of difficult people or difficult circumstances, some challenges come from within. Are we meant to go around our challenges, address them head on, embrace them? Um, So join me next week as we examine the Rebbe's guidance, the people who sought his advice on dealing with life challenges. You don't want to miss it. All right, we'll see you then. Pleasure.